0: Words, they get golly hard when they jumble, jumping over hurdles, like a turtle, and pool, like and cake pool. cold blood is with the scheme, I'm a
1: boss. Ooh. This is That Got Me Thinking, and I'm Ellie Newman. This week, I've been thinking about trust, plain and simple trust. What if we could trust that the universe is all good? Not only that it has our backs, but all it wants is to see us thrive, succeed and flourish. And that its sole mission is to do everything in its power to make that so. What if we could trust that we're good, deep down, to our cores, every ounce, awesome? And what if we could trust that we don't have to sacrifice who we are to get what we want and learn once and for all that the only way to get what we truly want is to be the most authentic form possible of our true selves? What if we could trust so much that on every occasion, in every scenario, we could learn to follow that little feeling that says go left when everyone and everything else is telling us turn right? My guest today is Sean Vige. He's an author and very successful everyday businessman whose mantra had been, it's not personal, it's just business. Then, in a moment of despair, he determined to change his life, meet the Dalai Lama and find his true voice, to lead an authentic life in line with his core values and desires. And he's done just that. Lucky for us, Sean Vige describes his journey and the steps to his success in his new book, Moral Fiber, Awakening Corporate Consciousness. Welcome, Sean. Thanks so much for joining us today on That Got Me Thinking.
0: Hi, Ellie. Thank you.
1: So I want to start with your career path, just so we can set a little background, set the stage. And maybe we'll just begin with, what were you hoping for when you settled into your engineering degree at university? Did you have a plan? I did have a plan. My
0: plan was, is well, one, let me just roll it back a little bit. I... Uh, my parents are from india and i i moved out to i mean i grew up in the detroit area as you can tell i don't have much of an indian accent and i i came here like when i was 1 years old and i grew up outside of the metro detroit area and everybody wanted to work for one of what they called the big 3 automotive so my goal in life was to work at ford forever and you know have a pension like my father that was my goal. So I wanted to go start out as an, in, 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 with an Indian background. You're either going to, it's dictated, destiny lays out, you're either going to be a doctor or an engineer, right? So those cultural influences start to play. And I'm being really extreme when I say that, but that's, you know, <clears throat> for the betterment of the children, if you will. Um, that's how my parents would say. Um, so, yeah, my, my path was, was one of those two. But now you're seeing different paths, people do, doing different things. And so I ended up from automotive. Uh, I worked, uh, I literally worked on the line at Ford Motor Company um, with the union folks uh, as a summer intern. I did an engineering degree. I decided to go and further my engineering, went to graduate studies at Michigan. And then I went to, my purpose changed a little bit more and I got a little bit greedier and I decided to go get an MBA, which, which is all good. And I went into consulting. Greedier or more
1: ambitious? We're going to talk about that distinction, I think. Sure, sure. I think at that
0: time, it was, at at that time, it was, uh, I would say, it depends on where you're looking at and what optic. But at that time, where I decided to get my MBA, it was, some call it ambitious. But at that time, it was me, what I would say was, was greed caught me at that moment. And I, and I, and I was caging myself in a, in a corporate environment with all these things and material things. And I wanted more and more and I couldn't stop. And that's the, the, and the greed just took over. So it starts with ambition and I guess we'll dig into it to your point, but it started with me with ambition, but then it turned into greed and it just never, and and, and it's gauging Where's the, where, you know, what's the temperature at that level? And that's, that's what I talk about in the book, and that's what I think You know, we talk about. With, well, I guess we'll get into it. but Well, well we I, can I get into in it now, too,
1: yeah. yeah, because you talk sure. about um, that you had caged yourself, but originally to attain the things that you thought were what were going to bring you happiness and purpose and sort of what what everyone was meant to attain and what was then going to make you uh, successful sort of in, in all eyes and, and levels.
0: That's right. I mean, I thought it, I was... I was conditioned or so, you know, at a, at a point we all are right. And and I, through what I call cultural hinges or influences what's around us and what we value the society or, or sub society or, or culture. And at that time it was these material things. I grew up in a really rough neighborhood, a very low middle-class neighborhood. And I would, I would look at the billboards. I would look at, uh, uh, what was that one show by Robin Leach uh, Be a Millionaire or whatever I mean oh the those lives the of the rich and were, famous or something yeah so those were the things that you digest right and you consume those and you start to become what you consume now look I'm not going to blame all those influences I take full accountability but at that time I was uh, when you're when you're uh, conditioned or normalized in that environment or behavior you start to normalize it yourself and you think that's what society values, and that's where my self-worth comes. Well, and, so and, at and, that point, and, and
1: our society does yeah. value that, right? And you are conditioned for that. And so it is a big leap to step outside of that. And we aren't sort of um, prepared for that and geared for that. And it seems like maybe the disconnects happen and happen for you when you say you began to have a disregard for how you achieve them, right? It's like the ends begin to justify the means and we lose it, lose a connection there.
0: Right. You start to and sometimes it takes a life event for you to to break the glass to see what else is in there or what else is around it you lose yourself and that's what happened and I just started to you you get so uh, you could call it brainwashed or whatever you want to call it. people uh, you know I did studies that you know I was looking at some of the studies at Notre Dame and some of these professors at, in business ethics and you know, they call it psychic numbing, ethical or yeah, psychic numbing, ethical fading. You you start to you start to condition yourself, and you and you think that's right. You actually rationalize the behavior, and 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 at some point you you and then you you have to take a step back, and either it's you know a life event or something that triggers you back, or somebody else gives you a, and that's where the awareness factor comes in, the gateway if you will and the self-awareness as well as the, the awareness from someone else. And it, t- it may take something else to kind of have you see, hey, you know what? I'm doing something wrong. And, and then you start, and it triggers what you just, when you opened up with that inner voice. And you, and that's, that's we, we lose that inner voice. We know what's right and wrong. We lose it when we don't practice it. That's what happens.
1: Well, and the, the psychic numbing is probably, and the, the, Wired in us in situations for survival, right? That we begin to need to rationalize and justify behavior to shift into uh, a new environment and be able to adapt and adjust. So, again, don't yeah, be too hard that's... on yourself. Don't to be too hard on yourself for that. <laughs> so, no,
0: that's, 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 that's fair. Yeah, that's right.
1: So, you end your book with this story, but like I want to jump into it. And that is okay. the moment that you talk about when. You had that internal shift, and maybe we can send it around your um, path to meeting the Dalai Lama. Okay. And so you... It was...
0: uh, Go ahead. Yeah. No, no, it was back in... I mean, it took me three years, three and a half years to write the book, and and a lot of it came from, you know, a personal, what I would call a personal crisis, right? Like most things in life, things change and and the shift begins. And for me, it was, it was back in, I would say, I met the Dalai Lama for the first time, February, 2014. And it was in January, I'm from the Seattle area. And uh, I've been fortunate to have a, a beautiful home, a beautiful, you know, a lot of nice material things, if you will, big house. And I was, I was sitting, it was a Friday night, I was sitting in this, what we call a bonus room, looking at the big screen TV, eating half of a cold sandwich, uh, wife is out of the house, daughter's out of the house, I'm all alone, and I I just, I was extremely overweight, I was unhealthy, a lot of medical conditions, I had distanced myself from my own personal family, as well as my my other parts of my family, uh, my parents, my, my, my siblings, I was in a very toxic work environment. I, it was just extremely toxic. It was a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, uh a lot of hurt and hurting, uh, on both sides. Uh, and, and we all go through that in a work environment. We don't want to admit to it, but you know, a lot of people wake up in the morning, not wanting to go to work. And so, you know, I was in that environment. I was in a bad family environment. I was just very unhealthy. Everything was hitting me at once, Ellie. Everything was hitting me at once. And I started getting really angry. I just started getting really angry at myself and everything around me. And, uh, it, I think it just started physically hurting. Like I started I, I, I was hyperventilating. I was I was starting to look for something. So I just walked around this house.
1: Well and, and it, and it makes I was walking, sense, right? Yeah. Sean it's like you checked all the boxes. You did all the things you were supposed to do, so then why, right? Why why are you ending right. up there?
0: Why am I in this why am I in this situation and why it was a juxtaposition in the sense that I had everything I, I wanted materially. I had everything I wanted You know, I thought I was, but I was not happy. I was just not happy. I was not a happy person inside, and I felt, you know, you think you could get all these things to get happiness or to feel happy, and I soon learned in that environment I was, I, I I was, lots of people like me who were not that way, and we have our energy flows. We, We, I don't want to derail, but you know, we end up what the way we're feeling, the way we're thinking. We, we, we attract our, those energies attract others like us. And so I was in this situation where I was just in this toxic, toxic environment and I was walking around the house. You asked how I met the, you know, the whole Dalai Lama. I, I was walking, it was in January. I was walking, It was pouring rain like usual, the typical Seattle. And I, and I go to this guest bedroom and there was a nightstand and I'm like, uh, something told me to open the bottom of the nightstand. So I opened the nightstand. i was so, so angry. Um, at everyone, at everything, I was blaming everybody, everybody. And I, and I was angry at myself too, but blaming more than myself. And then I, others than myself, I opened this drawer and there's this little pocketbook and it says the Do- the pocketbook of the Dalai Lama. I'm like, who is the Dalai Lama? I remember buying that little pocketbook years ago and I'm like, I opened this little pocketbook. It's like maybe a hundred pages, little one. I opened to this page, and it says, you can gain your greatest strength through your greatest suffering. There was a quote from him. And I'm like, what? And then I started reading all this stuff about compassion. And I'm like, compassion? I'm so angry right now. And I'm thinking, how does compassion? But as I kept reading, and this is, I mean, I was reading this, and I was like, it just started soothing me for some reason. And either might have been I was looking for something, but whatever, I, I just continued to read and I felt so more at peace at myself. So then I said, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go tomorrow. I'm going to take the day off. I'm going to go to Barnes & Noble. And I'm, I'm just going to go read up on this Dalai Lama. I started reading more and more about the Dalai Lama. And, you know, just started reading some of the, and, and Buddhism. I wanted to learn about Buddhism. I'm like, I'm not a religious person, but I'm a spiritual person. And I started reading about it. And I'm like, wow, there's some good human you know, values here I'm just started reminding. I just started reading more about it. And then I said, you know, I was at a coffee shop and I, and I said the next day and I said, I'm going to Google the Dalai Lama. So I Googled the Dalai Lama and, uh, I see that he's coming to Berkeley and I said to myself in three weeks and I'm, and he, he comes maybe once every two, three years to the U S let alone, you know, Berkeley's not that far away. And I said, Oh, I'll try to get tickets. I tried to get tickets. I couldn't get them sold out like in 20 minutes. Then I, I waited and then I said, uh, in the afternoon I looked online, he said, he's coming to UC Santa Clara. And I said, wow. Okay. I'm going to try to get tickets. So I, it's like buying Seahawks tickets. It, I mean, like the server was down. i was like, so I got these two tickets. I was able to get two tickets. I scored two tickets. I invited my brother and I said, you know, being a type a personality business, all that. And I'm like, you know what? This is not enough for me. So I called the UC Santa Clara coordinator and I asked her, I said, I'd like to meet the Dalai Lama. And she's like, yeah, right. We all would, right? And I was like, she's like, yeah, I go, I'm going through a personal crisis, my, you know, my life, blah, blah, you know, all the stuff I just shared. And she's like, sir, a lot of people want to meet the Dalai Lama. The, the, the venues over 8,000 people. We're not going to be able to, ha- you know, this is not going to happen. And she didn't say it in that way, but she was just kind of deflecting. And I said, okay. So I gave up and then, but inside me, I said, I'm, I I still want to go. And I still, I went there. I said, I'm going to go there and I'm going to go just the energy of that. So you may want to call it coincidence or call it the universe, but in my heart, I, I wanted to meet him. There was something that was calling me to meet this, this person. And sure enough, I get an email, a generic email from the hotel chain's, you know, you get these, you use your points or they end up, they they go away. So I get this email and I said, okay, I'll book it at this hotel. So I booked the, you know, so I don't lose my points. So I book it and uh, it was a Sunday night and we, my brother and I went down to the lobby uh, to meet one of his friends and we were having sushi and and, and a bottle of wine we were all sharing and we were just sitting in the lobby, all those high tech folks hanging out and I see in the corner of my eye, I see a monk. And I, I said, huh, who is that? So I would just walk over there and to the peripheral, and I see all these people around him. And I said, oh, forget it. You know, I'm not going to be able to, to go over there and talk to this person. So I walked back, and then something inside me said, no, go back. Go meet this person. I don't know. And, and I rarely... I really do something like that. It was something inside of me, and I went back, and I cut through. The crowd was so nice. They just opened up, and I just literally went to, to my knee, and I just started. He held my hand, and it was just like it was mentat. I just started talking to him, and it was a translator because he didn't speak English, and we started talking. We talked for 40 minutes, and he said, meet me here tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. Try to be here a little bit early. So I got there at 7 a.m., and then they took me up. Uh, there was so many dss agents fbi i mean there's just so many people it was very quiet there was nobody there in the morning and it was my brother and i and they took us upstairs and i had the opportunity to meet with the dalai lama for 20 minutes and we talked and every year since then i met the dalai lama the following year with my parents the year and i started working with his office i started working with um, uh, the ex-prime minister of tibet and I, i mean we can get into that all that but that's it has changed the, I've started meeting other people like that community. I was talking about the toxic community, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm now sitting in a community of the complete opposite of all these other different people. Like I'm, I'm, I'm sitting now with, you know, I'm talking, working with collaborating with Howard Cutler, who wrote the art of happiness. I'm working with all these other different folks uh, in, in, at Harvard, at, at you know, Darden school of business. I mean, this, the world completely has changed where it's okay. Let's, so that's how that whole changed. That, that it, I mean, from 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 that room all the way to that.
1: So so in your book Even you say compassion. we all experience moments yeah. when our inner voices call it your heart, call it your values, speak to us. We don't always listen, but when we do, we are led to experiences that we could never have planned or foreseen. And so I would definitely not call it coincidence. I was laughing in your publicity um, handout. It says something about a chance meeting with a Dolly Lama. I'm like, huh. Oh, Jan's meeting, but we'll talk about that. <laughs> but you had one of those other moments earlier on in your career where you knew things weren't really right where you were working and you tried to speak up another number of times and it didn't really work out and you were really conflicted and then you were sitting in the cafeteria and you had one of these moments where there was that voice that said, Oh, wow, there's my good friend and he's sitting with the CFO. I could go over there right now and, and talk to them. Yes, what was yes. different then?
0: There was a lot different then. <clears throat> it was, it was, we, couple things. We just moved to the Bay area. Uh, we put ourselves in debt, maybe $600,000 buying a house. We had a baby girl, all these other things, uh, material things, a new car, new, all these things, what I call, I think I call my chapter two, caging ourselves. And it, we, I when I was at that moment it was early in my career. You you talk about ambition, greed. I knew my inner voice at that point was, I need to say something. You call it, and and I admire and I respect the whistleblowers out there, the true ones, like Sharon Watkins at A- Ron, for example. I mean, these are the people you know, people kind of looked down upon, but after they find out the company's doing something in high disregard, it's, oh, now they're heroes. So at that time, to answer your question, at that time when I was there, it was all these other thoughts that forced me to compromise and I to not say anything, to keep quiet. And in the end, I ended up getting, getting laid off anyways or let go anyways because of that.
1: And your boss did too. Uh, It didn't end well for her either.
0: It didn't end well
1: for her. Karma comes back,
0: right? I mean, it was one of these where, you know, you, you, you act badly on somebody. Don't think for one second the universe will not respond to you because it does. And and, and I'm not saying that you should do, do good things because you want good things to happen. You should do good things because you want to do good things. Right. And that takes, that, that takes a, a deeper introspective view on yourself on what you want to do in your life, right? And I think at that time, it was, it, yeah, at that time it was it was it was called. That's why I was saying it, at that young age, it was it was turning that ambition was turning into greed. It was also turning into what I would say another uh, derivative that was driving me was fear.
1: And yeah, I was going to say it's it's muddy water. You know, in in hindsight, you say you were rationalizing, you were saying, you know, my values don't align. With what I'm doing in this job, but I need to feed my family, and that you know, it's like what you said, what optic you put on, because is that a real rationalization, or at the time, are you in this muddy water where you really are believing that? Maybe there's a tiny quiet piece that doesn't, right? It's trying to pokey, you, pokey, you, pokey you until they knock on you, and then you know, ring your bell. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at yeah. the time, it's a tricky place because that's where you are. Yeah.
0: It's also like, to your point earlier, we as human beings, I mean, we're created if physically and emotionally. We always get in the state what we, I mean, our bodies react in what we call a survival mode, right? Certain organs react to certain things at certain times because it's reacting to the environment. And it, that happens also psychologically and, phys- and and emotionally as well. And so our our defense mechanism, the Dalai synthesis is, is when we see anger, our first instinct is to react with anger right and and that's not that doesn't help anyone right anger doesn't solve anger anger doesn't solve resolve anger it's compassion which which was a big ha ha moment to me and so you know like for example anger in, in buddhism they, they talk about these three the three poisons anger greed and ignorance and they invite their friends what we talked about like i talked about fear and and other things you know jealousy and you know um many other things that come into play. And so the thing to me was, is, okay, how do you, it's, it's at the individual. That's why I wanted to focus so much with the book at the individual level as individuals, you know, peace in whatever we do. We want peace in in the work environment. We want peace in the world. We want peace in society. Peace only comes, only comes through inner peace. And at the individual level is where we need to find the balance. And that's what I love about when I was reading about Buddhism. It's it's in the balance. It, 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 it's it's in the moderation of how we, you know, how we balance ourselves. Yeah, and yin and, and yang aware of are friends. Emotions.
1: They're not enemies. They're working together. Yeah. Um, and, right. and so that gets tricky too, though, right? Because... Those emotions of anger and vengeance and all those things, emotions come up to tell us something, right? It's like a signaling system. Hey, something's going on here. We need to react. But it's kind of taking that moment to say, all right, I'm feeling angry. What's that about? And then how do I want to react constructively, right? It's okay to be angry, but maybe not scream and yell and berate. So... You said you had lost that connection with your inner voice and that, that really you had lost a sense of self-awareness. So what did it take to find it again? And it seems like through the title of your book, Moral Fiber was kind of your grounding point developing that. So maybe you could talk about that a little bit.
0: Yeah. I mean, what I talk about when I, you know, I, I coined the term Moral Fiber as knowing and acting on our values. Knowing and acting on our values, we know, we know, you know, our common, you know, common core values. This is not rocket science, right? And having interviewed so many different people and looking at the different studies that have been done out there, like like John Hite, you know, at NYU, uh, just talking to Mary Gentile, and just so many different people, and and then even interviews. I interviewed like the people at Starbucks, all the way to the janitor at Whole Foods, like what were the things that people value? And the five things that came up to me that I I got were empathy, compassion, honesty, loyalty, and respect. Those were the things. So, I mean, to yeah, no,
1: no, I was going to say there too, right? Like we're social beings, we're wired for compassion. But then when you look at Jonathan Haidt's work, he says, you know, he talks about care, fairness, loyalty, authority, and sanctity, and that different yep. groups value those differently, that we all care about fairness and and care, it seems. But the other ones, there's a variation. And it seems also that the environments with within which you put yourself those environments those more competitive rather than cooperative business environments might actually value um, authority and competition and some of those things that were in conflict with maybe what you were, your core values really are
0: right but what I' that's exactly right but what I'm want to you hit the word awareness right it's about being aware of so let me let me just go back to a thing that to, to your to, to answer your question yes there is this what i would say this gateway of awareness self-awareness and a lot of people lose themselves in that and so in in a, what i would call heightened awareness being aware all the time and how do you get how do you get to that level and that's what i was talking about is knowing and acting on our on our core values so yeah anger and all of these things are are, are they they might be finding the right balance let me give you an example let's just walk through an example to make it a little bit more more tactical um, in interviewing a lot of these folks uh, um, they were all doing very similar approaches like I, I started talking to leaders that <clears throat> practice these values and one of the things uh, where we talked about was for example uh, the, the category that, that I w- I want to I want to come I used, a, a, I used this, what I call act, where you, it, it, let's take anger, for example. I, I was angry at work at one point where I was, I was, I was I, yeah, I was kind of belittling a colleague. I was getting angry and I was on a call, a conference call and I was just getting angry and I found out that, so accept the emotion, right? At the moment, try to accept the emotion that you're getting angry because a lot of people don't even accept that emotion. So yeah, not might say, yeah. not Yeah, yeah, I'm not angry, but accept that emotion and realize that you are getting angry and more importantly, start getting surgical with the anger, right? So how do you do that? You have to cloister that first because our tendency as human beings, we tend, to, anger tends to build, right? These emotions, especially negative ones, exponentially build and it just con- compounds at that point and you start to lose yourself. And so, The key also is cloistering that emotion, getting surgical, and getting into the why. What caused that anger? Was it my daughter that kept me up all night and I'm just deflecting on this individual? And that requires self-awareness, different vantage points, right? Looking at across the board, across the board, across different lenses, if you will. Taking a 360 approach on really being patient and looking at all the different vantage points and then tempering that emotion and this is a big aha it's, it's with anger what i mentioned earlier is don't resolve it with anger but use compassion to find the balance so yeah anger might be good but use compassion to and awareness to understand i mean a, a another one would be uh, ignorance you know we, we have we make our tendency to make decisions in business or in any place a lot of places is we make quick judgments uh, that requires wisdom at that point, right? And awareness. And and, and so the, so with anger use use compassion with uh, to find a balance with ignorance, use wisdom, with greed, use gratitude. These are simple things. But it's 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 getting on getting surgical, cloistering the emotion and then gauging the dial on how much you need because it's in the balance where we'll find that peace, if you will.
1: So you have a great and example. And making
0: comprehensive decisions. Yeah.
1: You have a great example in your book uh, about managing, when you're talking about managing the poisons in the business world, and you and your team had flown to Paris and, and had been up all night, and you were walking into a meeting where you were presenting the work that you'd been working on for a for, uh, long time. And you were just rejected, belittled, you know, shut down right away after making this trip, and, and pretty much humiliated purposefully. And you talk about one person in the room who... You know, probably was angry at what he was seeing at first, but he countered with compassion.
0: Yeah, he 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 he, was yes yes. He countered with compassion. So, do you want me to talk about it? Do you want me to riff on that a little bit? Okay. So yeah, we were we were we were going. It was one of these where it was going to make or break a lot of careers. There was a few of us flying to Paris to go pitch one of these. I would say a corporate vice president of a, of a big company, and it was one of these where the culture was at that time, at that moment in time was uh, managing through fear was was it was a it was like an old boys network managing through fear, and if you weren't part of the clique, you you were not part of the clique, and it was hard to get into that clique, right? It was like a fraternity, if you will. So we all wanted to be part of that fraternity, right? We all wanted to, you know, move up in the career, get our, what you call ambition. So we 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 flew out there and it was a, it was a, um, I won't get into the details, but it was a, uh, an organizational strategy uh, a blueprint. And we were presenting it. And as I was, we were all nervous. And as we were presenting it, uh, I still remember, you know, uh, the the vice president, just you know, there was somebody before us, and they were all laughing and and just making a mockery of the last person. And then we walk in, and they're making a mockery. Just just they call it uh, precision questioning. Uh, it's I I I believe it was masked for uh, belittling. You know, uh, MBA students when they get questioned all the time, poll calling. It, it's it there's ways of approaching individuals and I think leaders you see today are taking using empathy more than cold calling an individual and managing it through fear. And so at that time, it was just, this person was just coming, just coming after us. Like we couldn't even, I couldn't even fill, I couldn't even finish uh, a sentence if you will. And he just, he just was, Whatever you want to call it, I'm not going to judge, but it could have been his own insecurities. It could have been whatever it could have been. But what I noticed in the room, the facts were, he was belittling us and putting down the subject matter, putting down us as individuals. And it was, he just was cold. And he was, he was, he was, I think it was, he he was looking for uh, reinforcement from his troops, if you will, leadership. And he just basically, he was treating us, he was, he was not treating us in the most respectful way. And then I noticed others just followed him, all of them. They all followed him until this one individual who I could see in the corner of my eye just had, he felt like this was wrong. This is something wrong. And he held back in speaking through the whole time, but I could tell he just kept quiet. And he just, it, it's like, it's like you're watching somebody, you know, getting beaten up, belittled and you know inside yourself that's wrong. So how did he handle it? So he, his, his was, he, he, he did it in a very, very um, dynamic way, and he basically said, look, you know, I think, he, what I loved about what he said, and I've interviewed a lot of people, is our biggest thing in life is, when we're in these environments, we have a choice to say something, to say nothing, and saying nothing and doing nothing is also, it also compromises ourselves. So I asked a lot of different people um, and people who I admire and who who moved up the ranks doing it the right way. And there was a lady who runs HR at Starbucks and, and she said it and I've seen her in action before. And she said, if you're direct, you're honest, you're transparent and you're timely. If you, and you do it in a very, Compassionate way, in a very uh, assertive way, people will respect you for that. And if they don't, then you don't, it's not worth you being there. That takes guts. And she has done that every time, and I've seen others that do it that way, and they've advanced. And, you know, They've also attracted, by advancing, or, or they've always have attracted the, the, the similar type of mindset people.
1: Well, it's interesting. And so when
0: I saw Chris, when I saw, oh, no, I'm sorry, no, when I saw ahead. this individual do this, when I saw this individual do this, he confronted the vice president, and he said it in a very nice way. He said, "Look, I think it might be great for us to just hear out Sean." And everybody knew deep inside at that moment it was just like this hollow bone you could you could feel the the ground just be hollow and it was just like silence and it was at that moment it was like he rang a bell that said look guys we're doing something wrong here this is not human and he just he just reminded everybody of like let's just hear them out and sure enough they did and everything was fine after that and,
1: and it's funny because it's and not constructive <laughs> or productive either right no not at all yeah i mean it's just
0: this, this is just childish behavior. Yeah. It's
1: childish, ignorant,
0: it, you know, and, it, and what's happening in a lot of these corporate environments that, that you know, is ego, ego, and it's childish.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? Well, you see good leaders, they, 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 they have a sense of humility. They have a sense of purpose. They have a sense of, you know, and they don't just preach it. They, they, I go into this, what I call uh, these four, what, what is a toxic environment? You know, and I call it the four diseases, deception, detraction, discrimination, and doubt. And I categorize it to simply just kind of, you know, to put a pattern behind. It. But those were the, those are the four things. And deception is a very, very big one. You see a lot of leaders say something and act differently. Look, we're seeing it today in, in, not only in the work environment, the political environment,
1: and so we're going to take a short break and then we're going to come back and talk about why that is and your five-step method to acting on your values and changing that. And we're going to talk a little bit about corporate America and and um, is the problem capitalism or maybe the type of capitalism and how corporate America is changing. So we'll be back in just a moment. This is Ellie Newman. I'm speaking with Sean Vige. He's the author of Moral Fiber, Awakening Corporate Consciousness and... Um, It's an awesome book. And this is KDPI 88.5 FM drop-in radio, listener-supported, non-commercial community radio. And we're streaming live at kdpifm.org. All right, we're back. This is Ellie Newman on That Got Me Thinking, and I'm speaking with Sean Vige about his recent book, Moral Fiber. And so, Sean, I want to kind of pick up where we left off, setting the stage of, you know, where corporate America has been and and how it's transitioning. And maybe we'll start with Lucy Herr, who you mentioned, a senior vice president at Starbucks, because I think she nails it. Um, I, I wrote this is the key when I was reading that section of the book because she sort of says, you know, it's not easy, it's a big leap for many to... Thank you act on their values and stand up because you might lose your job but she says that's okay because I'll just get another one and I think what keeps some people trapped is that fear that this is how it is this is how you have to behave to succeed in this world that I want to succeed in and I think that that's really important that you mention that throughout the book that you were in an environment that you were motivated to attain certain levels of success in the corporate world and and you liked playing in that field and liked what that had To offer, and that that's okay, but you had to find a way to play that was in sync with who you really are and your values.
0: That's right. That's right. And Lucy hit it on the spot. And I see good leaders and strong leaders that that do it that way. They're they're what I would say fearless, fearless, And, and and that takes especially. When you look at companies today, I mean, companies back, you know, when I look at my father and I look at others, living off pensions, you know, there was a sense of, you know, one loyalty, but at the same time, uh, fear. And, uh, you know, but now it's, 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 you can look at it in a different way. Like when I was, the whole incident that happened early on in my career, I was so fearful of, oh my gosh, you know, how am I going to? feed my daughter, how the house and all of this, it all, you know, it's just too much. And we do. And and, and what I love about this quote, the Dalai Lama says, we cause our own suffering. We cause our own suffering. And how do we cause our own suffering by not being honest with ourselves? And so, and we'll get, I'll get into that a little bit more, but, you know, we set our own expectations We go, we put ourselves in these positions. And so the best way to put yourself in a position is just be true to who you are and act on it. And you'll be amazed of the, of the amazing things that you'll see because as human beings, the one thing about survival mode, the other thing that human beings are really good at are we're very resourceful. So if you lose your job, especially in today's day and age, there are a ton of other jobs out there. And in fact, when you want to be in a job that aligns to who you are and we're seeing more and more companies today, especially with the millennials and the influx of millennials and what they desire and what they want in careers, they're not looking for pure profit type of companies. They're looking for companies that help communities, right? And I, you know, they realize that, you know, community is just not another stakeholder business, but the very purpose of its existence. There was a guy who, the founder of Tata, Jasmine, he said that. And I love that quote. And so that's what's happening. And you're seeing that shift happening more and more. And you're starting to see companies, you know, acting on that. I mean, I don't want to get all political, but you're starting to see more companies speak out. Just recently, Pantagonia. I mean, it's just amazing to see. And they're speaking out. Leaders, Howard Schultz, you know, I'm from Seattle, they're speaking out you know they're speaking out because they understand and they're listening to their the world is getting smaller and as the world gets smaller it's becoming more diverse and they're listening to their customers and their employees and they're acting on what they want and what they desire which are strong values and you're starting to see more and more of that
1: so what does it take to realize that you're sort of, as um, Jonathan, he refers to it, it's like the matrix of, of values or morals, that, that you are not uh, living in alignment with your core values and who you are. What does it take to like, wake up from that dream, and then what does it take to start changing your behavior? What's the process that you developed?
0: For me, it was, uh, one, it takes courage. And one, it takes from, you can't do everything at once, but I would implore people, for example, I do a simple exercise. First, spend one minute with yourself today alone. Just spend one minute with yourself. Next day, spend two minutes with yourself. And through the week, get to five minutes. Just you, no TV in your room, all alone, and start to reflect. Did you act today on what you value as a human being? Sounds simple, but we are so living our lives, activity by activity, thinking activity, uh, that outcome comes through all kinds of different activities. Just spend some time with ourselves, number one. Be compassionate to ourselves, but at the same time, be accountable for ourselves. I would ask that. That takes courage, but don't, you don't have to do it all at once. It's just like working out. You don't need to go run the marathon. Start small. Spend in one minute. Get it to 10 minutes. Get it to 20 minutes. Get it to a point. I'm not saying you need to be a Buddhist monk, but get it to a point where you are aware all the time. And that's what I call heightened awareness where you are meditating completely all the time. You are, you are in the moment. You are living the moment. You are understanding all the vantage points. You are balanced. That's one thing when I met the Dalai Lama, I never felt so much sadness and happiness. But the other thing that I never felt so much was this level of equanimity, this balance. It was like I was in this world of balance. It was actually it was very beautiful. It was it was it was amazing, and that feeling you feel it, and 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 I think that energy just resonates. And so, as a leader, or a business leader, or wherever you're at, you project that—the way you act, the way you are—and and, and so that 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 matters, and that has an impact on people.
1: Not being for or against, being with. You quote a, and I'm gonna. I apologize beforehand. I'm gonna garble his name. Uh, Harvard Business School professor Nien He Not sure about how to say Nien-hei, it.
0: Nien Hei uh, yeah. Si. Si, it was
1: close. Um, and he says, being true to ourselves can be hard because many of us are afraid to learn what we find when we look deep inside ourselves. What? did you find that was the most difficult to accept about yourself when you began looking more closely and honestly inside? Was there something that was like, okay, this is, this is hard to look at. And, and what do you do when you find something that, that, um, is challenging to see as, as some call your, you know, your, your dark side or your dark soul?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, we all have those things, uh, and people who say they don't, they're lying to themselves. And that's what I was doing. I was lying to myself. I I realized, you know, uh, I was, I was doing things thinking that I was going to, I, I was doing all these things that I thought were important for me to get this level of happiness. And it wasn't even really about this. It, the happiness is not a destination. It's, you know I, know, I know, I know it sounds like a cliche, but it's literally a journey of like, if you live your values and you start doing the things that are, that are good for, for me, it was, I was so, I disregarded how I treated other people. Because I thought, if I, my attachment is to my family, my immediate, if I, if I treat them good and I do things, I'm doing the right thing for my family and my life and that's all that matters. No, you know what? We're all one big family. You know what? We're all human beings you know what? There's other people's mothers and children. Why do we have boundaries so much? Why are there so many boundaries? And that's what I love about the Dalai Lama. It's He's so disarming. He gets right to the point. He is talking to heads of state all the way to people, just common folks, what I love about him. And and, and he, we're all human beings. Everybody. And I was you know, we, we, we watch ourselves, how we treat, so we manage up versus managing down. We we, we treat people disrespectfully because they, I mean, there's always an ulterior motive. How about we, and, and I was doing that. And I realized that about myself. And there's a lot of people like that.
1: Well, and there's a false belief in there too, right? Because there's a belief that if I don't do that, I'm going to fail. And it's the only way to succeed. And that if I do treat people well and honor myself and honor them, um, you know, I won't succeed. And yet, what you found pretty much instantaneously is if you do that, you're going to meet the Dalai Lama. Um, so so that was Shadow. You had a great story that you tell about uh, a night out with some clients and this guy, Jerry, and that you, he turned out he was a total schmuck and his team were schmucks um, in some regards. And you weren't sure really that they would be the kind of people you wanted to work with. But yet you had this sense that if you didn't work with him, you'd you lose your ability to successfully execute on that project. And that's a huge chasm that, that people I think often can't jump and that you did where you got yourself to a place where you said, you know what, now I'm going to trust that he's not the right guy and it'll all work out but that's a big leap
0: right yeah you know that was that was that was interesting right i mean like we've all been in compromising states in in, in business you know the uh it's that was an evening out with a client i mean that i had to choose on a big big project and i was I, it was not only me, it was me and the team were shocked to see what was happening, uh, with respect to the evening and where it was going. And I was like, we're, we haven't made the final decision yet. And that took a lot of, that's where the balance came in, right? Cause I could have at that time just said no to, to him and his company as, as the vendor. And I decided to choose, well, let me bring your audience in a little bit. It, so the, it was the night out, right? In the book, I talk about a night out, and we were choosing a, we were choosing a particular vendor, or client uh, to work with to deploy a solution in a particular market, which was a multi million dollar uh, uh, deal that was happening. And the client took us uh, the client took us out uh, to. What, well we both decided to go out it was not like one decided over the other who was inviting who. we both decided to, to i would say do an early celebration to talk about um uh where we were going to go and uh, i had the client was, ended up pulling out some some drugs and some alcohol which alcohol is fine but it, it just I'll let your imagination go a little crazy and read the book, I guess. So it was getting to a point where there was a lot of compromising taking place, but yet I was, I I started to, I started to start thinking on the fence. Is this, this the right person, the company we want to work with at this point. But yet I was thinking, gosh, it's the only company here and it's the only one that we can do to, to win the overall solution, leveraging this third party, if you will. And I was in a really tough spot, and I thought, you know, do, but then I learned at that moment, you don't need to make a rash decision, Deshaun. You don't need to make one right now. Make an informed decision. Make a balanced decision. So I went back and took the time and the due diligence to think about the evening and, and do some other uh, uh, due diligence on the company, and we we ended up going with somebody else, which was the smart thing to do. So, yeah, I mean, you know, there's – In fact, I was glad we went out that night because I got to see a different vantage point.
1: You talk about uh, at the beginning of the book that, you know, you had been rationalizing and saying and, and making a distinction between, well, well, this is business and so it's okay. And that that started to shift. Do you still feel like there's a distinction between business and other areas of your life? Or is this a universal story? Uh, moral fiber, that, that yes, your book is set in the business setting, but that really in any relationship, in any area of our life, it's a matter of flexing and strengthening that moral fiber to be able to act in alignment with our core values and to be self-aware and recognize when we're out of sync.
0: I think it's, a, I think it's universal, to answer your question. I think, I know it's universal. I don't think. I know it's universal. It's, for me, for me, It's universal. One thing I see of the Dalai Lama—he's not one person at work. We talk about—I was talking about suffering earlier. We cause our own suffering, and the reason we do that is because we're not true to ourselves. And I wasn't true to myself, and so that's a hard thing, and that requires that one minute, two minute, five minutes, twenty minutes, fifty minutes, three hours alone each day by yourself. And I mean, when I say alone, I mean you're not consumed by everything else. You're aware of yourself, and you're aware of your actions, and you're living accordingly. To what you want to live by, that takes courage and and, and strength, and, and and so I believe the, the the Dalai Lama, he's not one person at work and one person at home, he's the same person, and I have started doing that ever since I've met him. I have started to become the one person I want to be, not all these different people, and cause my own suffering, and it makes it easier. It's less burden for me, and. It's truth. And I love that. I love just being truthful to everyone, especially myself. And I live by that. And so now I, I go wherever I want. I feel whatever, I, it, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Now, look, there, I'm not saying, you know, there was that one movie I, I, can't, I was watching with my daughter way back when with Jim Carrey where you're saying the truth all the time. Oh yeah, liar, look, I'm not, liar. I'm not thinking, yeah, liar, liar. But what I'm talking about is, is like, you know our deeper our deeper thoughts, our our values, and living those values, right? And um, it's 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 just being being truthful to ourselves. And I, I truly believe when you do that, you start th- just it opens an inner door, and it opens all these other doors around you, because you are inviting people with that same energy. And that energy because people who don't have that energy don't want to be anywhere near you. And and the beauty is is the more I practice this, the more I can sense, I can feel uh, what the sixth sense or whatever you want to call it, you can start to feel that more. You start to feel the room. You know the room. When I go in for a business deal, when I go in, I feel the room. I gauge the room. Some people call it instinct, or whatever, but you, you know what's happening in the room.
1: And you're showing you know, up as, as Sean Vige. Yes. In every I'm room. I'm showing up as Sean Vige in, in every
0: room. I'm the same person. And, I, and and that's the beauty, because I don't need to lie to myself. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people, especially me, this book requires a lot of introspection. This book requires a lot of self-awareness. One thing I've gotten feedback on the book is this is a great gift for people. I'm I'm going to order ten of these for my people I know, <laughs> right? Like it's it's like it's like it's the other person. It's not me. Right. It's, it's, it's the other person needs to read moral fiber. Well, and you we talk have, about that uh, in the book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Not recognize yourself. Yeah. So let's just end with a little bit of a discussion on that, on kind of the victim mentality and, you know, using your approach, like why that serves us and how it serves us and how we can recognize it in a situation and then break out of it by, by strengthening our moral fiber. What What's the process?
0: Yeah. You know, I don't want to go, you know, one thing in the book was I didn't want it to be, I was just going through examples. I didn't want it to be, you know, there was no preachiness to it, but I, I just used what, what helped me. Right. And I just kind of categorized and what helped others, other business leaders. And one is, is what I call it's just to basically, you know, one, there was five steps, right. One, assess and prioritize your values. Right. You know, some people might think empathy, you know, respect loyalty honesty but what are the things that matter to you most and live by those and you know because there's a lot of things we could value right we could value food in the cafeteria that's a priority for me but you know that's not really i mean let's let's focus on the things that really matter right and then you know determine what i would say identify is determine the degree of congruency with your values and your company values look if you're you know if you're in a in a in a Um, I remember, uh, I had a friend, she, she worked in a, a, she was, she was, I was like, why are you working in this stock brokerage firm when you totally different value different things? I mean, just, it, it was just didn't make sense. Right. So like find out where, figure out where you're at and why you're there. And does it really make sense to be there? Uh, and then gauge what I would say the third step is beware, right. And, and be gauge the level of toxicity in and around you. So the toxicity I talked about was this level of deception, detraction, doubt, and discrimination, and uh, that was that. That to me is uh, um, you know uh, beware of beware of those things. And deception is really what I was saying is the act of deceiving, right? Becoming something or someone that you're not. I and mean, there's a lot of leaders like that. And I I call out some leaders. I don't say they their real names, but I talk about this, some of those examples and what they've done. And this detraction is, you know, belittling, you know, the reputation of, of others, you know, and, and, and we see that happening a lot in discrimination, you know, we see it in, in the work environment, some people, you know, group of folks, group of guys, old boys network, or whatever you want to call it, uh, unfairly treating another person or a group of people. And then doubt is obviously, that's a big one. That's a feeling of uncertainty and lack of conviction. So that one to me is, is, is doubt is a very, very powerful one. And then elevate so if you see the, these these four d's if you see you know some more than others i mean i've been in environments that they're toxic you know across all four some may be toxic more than others but there are also area companies that aren't that like that that uh, they're all they all have degrees of it and it's just the company you want to go with that has the least amount of de- degree of that then obviously is is what i would say step four is then you know now that you know you you're aware of these toxic environments and where you are relative to them, then start to elevate yourself, you know, and that's, that requires the self-awareness, right? The greater perspective, you know, both internally and externally, and just those vantage points, if you will, and trying to figure out, you know, how do I, do I, you have a, you know, I, I, w- I call it the, um, the camera on a tripod, right? So, you know, elevate try to be that camera, try to look at all the different vantage points, uh, be outside your body and look at yourself relative to where you are and what you're doing and how you're acting. And are you contributing to that toxic environment? And is that contributing to you and how are you dealing with that? So that requires elevation and then finally releasing yourself. So this is the tough part. You either make a choice, you stay, you stand or leave, you do what Lucy did, right? You know, you, you, you make a stand and um, you, you do it in a very direct, honest, transparent way and you give feedback and you make a choice. You know, and there was a lot of jobs. There's no right or wrong answer in this. It's in the situation you are. There was a lot of jobs where I, you know, I I uh, um, I stayed and I compromised myself. And later on in life, I I regretted that. And there are, you know, and, and then there are times where I'm really happy where I took a stand and I walked away. And I wished or I I, I voiced up and spoke up and I found out leaders that uh, that respected me brought me under their wing. So that's those are the that's how I categorized it. There's no right or wrong answer, but that's how I kind of managed it. And that's that's when I talked to other folks. And so hopefully it's a good tool for others to kind of leverage.
1: This is Ellie Newman, and that got me thinking. And I've been speaking with Sean Vision, Sean, uh, about his most recent book, Moral Fiber: Awakening Corporate Consciousness. And I just got to ask you before we end about the cover, the cover photo. Was that uh, your choice? Was that um, deliberate? And and uh, what's it all about?
0: Yeah, it's, uh, that's an, uh, that's the first question I ever got, and no one's really asked me that. Uh, that's an awesome question. So there's a lot of meaning behind this cover photo. The uh, um, when I first met the Dalai Lama, the, uh, the photographer, uh, was, um, he, he a, a really, I mean a professional famous photographer and he ended up, we ended up becoming good friends and that fiber you see on that lock is the fiber I was wearing when I first met the Dalai Lama. So there's a, uh, uh a photo, I guess in the book also of my first meeting with him and I'm wearing that fiber. And I got that fiber from one of the uh, the monks, the lady. There was a lady uh, with the monk who gave me the fiber to put around my neck. And I just decided to use it. On, um, uh, the photographer and I were walking in a Japanese garden in San Francisco, and we saw this doorway. And here's the amazing thing. Talk about universe. We didn't know. We, we took the photo of the doorway, he did, and we put the fiber on. But then the Dalai Lama, when he wrote the foreword of the book, we didn't know the, the, I mean, if you read the back of the book, it says Sean shares with how compassion, gratitude, and wisdom opens our inner door, unlocking a more purposeful life and career. We didn't know a door would kind of, with the words, So we thought that was kind of, kind of nice. So it just kind of all, you know, it just, it, it just kind of ended in a very nice note. So another that's the cover.
1: another nice. coincidence. <laughs> another right. coincidence. Yeah. yeah. Well, such a pleasure to read the book and such a pleasure to speak with you today. So thank you so much for joining us. And, uh, Shauna, do you have I a appreciate. website? Is there somewhere we can direct people for more yeah. information?
0: So, yeah, there's MoralFiber.world. If the book is rolled out, It's going to be at all uh, the Whole Food stores, uh, John Mackey is a conscious capitalist, been very supportive. Uh, the we have uh, It's going to be at Barnes & Noble. It's being rolled out primarily on college campuses, Barnes & Noble, but that will be rolled out as well.
1: All right, and a great gift for all of those people you know in your life that need it. All right. Well, thanks so much, Sean.
0: Thanks, Ellie. I okay. appreciate
1: it. Bye-bye.
0: Bye.